Off Me Block, Book 3, Done and Dusted. Chapter 9, What Happens on a Stag. So anyways, like I was telling you earlier, me kids were a bit, you know, dubious about Gillian moving into their ma's house so soon after she died. But like I said, they came around in the end. Well, last Sunday week, with Gillian's own two kids coming home for the wedding, it was high time that I met them, and they met my two. After all, they're all going to be part of the one big family after Saturday. So Gillian arranged it all. Her two were arriving in from us and from the States that very morning, and she'd invited them all to ours for a big Sunday roast. Now, I'd be lying if I told you I wasn't shitting myself about the whole thing. I'd been dreading it since myself and herself hooked back up. Meeting her kids and worrying about me stag night were keeping me awake at night, so I can tell you. Now that the stag was over, and I'll get to that in a minute, chase as well fast that it was, uh, but meeting her kids, I mean, what if they didn't like me? Or they didn't like me own kids? Or what if Safina, with that acid tongue of horse that she got from her mother, took a disliking to them and laid into them as we sat there over a leg of lamb? Or what if that gum-bean prick of a son-in-law of mine went and opened his gobshite trap and said something stupid? Jesus, man, I couldn't sit right for the worrying. So the Sunday morning comes along. Herself has me cleaning the house from top to bottom as if it was the Pope we were expecting. Halfway through scrubbing the grouting in the shower with a toothbrush, says I to herself, Gillian Pet, is this really bleeding necessary? Yes, it is, says herself. My Joyce is a stickler for a clean shower, Tommy. I just want the place nice. Jesus, what's she going to be doing? Climbing in here in the middle of dinner to inspect the grouting? I wouldn't put a pastor, says herself. I just want everything to be perfect, okay? If the place is spotless, I'll feel more at ease. Now, I'm going down to do the cupboard under the stairs. You're fucking joking me, says I. She's not even going to see in there. Oh, you don't know my Joyce, says herself. Now, that's when I started to get worried. It's like she was terrified of her own daughter. Right, when your ma's coming to your gaff, you make sure as shite that the place is immaculate. You know how it is. An Irish mammy won't even hesitate to lash it out of it over the stadier sitting room, so you give it a good blast with the L pledge and run the hoover over the floor before she gets there. But your kids, why would you, or should you, be afraid of what state the place is in when your kids are coming? Honestly, man, when she brought the kitchen bin out to the backyard to give it a rinse, that's when alarm bells really started going off in my head. I had to get out for an hour or two and setting myself down. Listen, pet, says I, I'm all done upstairs. I'm going to go down to the shops to get a couple of bottles of wine for the dinner. All right? That'll be lovely, says herself. Oh, make sure the white is a Californian Chardonnay and from the fridge, not the shop floor. Joyce won't drink it if it's not the right type and not chilled to just how she likes it. Oh, will she not, says I. Joyce was starting to sound like she was going to need a swift kick to the fanny to knock her into touch. I've never had time for anyone with these fancy airs and graces, and I wasn't about to start. Off I went to the off-license and got myself and the lads a few beers, a few bottles of wine, not chilled of course, and I got a few West Coast coolers for Safina. I turned them all in the boot of the car and bet down to the boozer for a swift point and a fag or two. When I got back to the house, Safina, the spire, and the twins were just arriving. Jesus, man. It's mad how fast they grow. They're running around like terriers at this stage, and when they seen me car pulling up, they only bet over to me. I can't tell you how much I'll never get tired of hearing them call me granda. It's only the bizzo, so it is. As I scooped them up into me arms, young Garrett and Neil arrived too, and as I stood there with me little family, I thought, maybe this wasn't going to be so bad. 
If Gillian's young one did turn out to be a bit of a bitch, well, so what? We deal with it. And if the spire said something stupid, we deal with that too. We were all going to be a big family and show what our family's best at. Yep, knocking the shite out of each other morning, noon and night. Yeah, things would be grand, man. Seeing that it was a cracker of a day, Gillian had set up the patio table outside on the deck for the meal. And while herself and Safina got busy with the dinner, myself and the lads had a beer or two out in the garden as the nippers ran around the place laughing and shouting their little heads off. You couldn't have had a more perfect day. An hour or so later, the doorbell went and Garrett goes off to answer it. Gillian came barreling out the patio door in a flap. Tommy, come on, they're here, says she. Right so, says I. Game ball, here we go. I got out of my chair and made me way into the kitchen. Just as I got to the kitchen door, Garrett came in, his face all screwed up as he tried to stop himself from the laughing. I could see the other two coming in the hall door behind him, suitcases in tow. What's up with you, I whispered. Don't look at her eye, says he. Don't look at her eye. What? Her eye, da. He walked past me and into the kitchen, and there's Gillian's nippers coming down the hall to me. The young fella first. A fine strapping young lad with a mop of blonde hair and a tan that had put a mahogany cabinet to shame. How are you doing, says I, me hand held out to meet him. Tim, says he, taking me hand. It, it's nice to meet you, Tommy. Likewise, says I, likewise. And this is my sister, Joyce, he says, as ourselves drew up behind him. Well, loving lantern and Jesus, man, I'm telling you now, I near well choked on me tongue when I seen her. She'd a torn in her eye that'd make the red cow roundabout look straighter than an airport runway. And I thought that gammy-eyed little fucker who knocked the bollocks out of me in the Happy Times hostel way back then had it bad. His eye was grand compared to this. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't want to be slagging anyone. Sure, don't they have enough to be dealing with for Jesus' sake? But when it's right up in your face like this was, you can't bleed and ignore it now, can you? All I'm thinking as I shook her hand is, don't look at it. Don't fucking look at it. Just keep looking at her good eye. But I couldn't help it, man. I just kept staring at it. And her face, her face was covered. And I mean fucking well covered with little lumps and bumps. What they are, I still don't know. And I won't ask whether they're warts or what. I don't know. But I'm telling you now, man. She looks like she fell asleep face down in a bowl of Rice Krispies. And the bleeding things dried to her skin. Nice to meet you, Tommy, says herself as she shook me hand, the gammy eye staring off behind me. Or was it? I couldn't tell. All the while me brain is screaming at me to stop bleeding, staring at it. But I couldn't. The whole way through the dinner, I stared at it. And even from the other end of the table, I couldn't tell if she was looking at me or someone else. She's like one of those paintings. You know the ones I'm talking about. No matter where you stand, the fucking thing looks like it's staring at you. Gammy eye aside, I'm happy to report that everything went grand during the dinner. Everyone got on, there was no tension and no awkwardness. Well, till the gormless singin fucker opened his trap and anyways the bleeding Amadon. There we were, tucking into a bit of Vianetta for the dessert, when himself, on the outside of at least two bottles of wine now, says to one, So Joyce, were you born with that like? I could have fucking killed him, the lanky streak of gobshite. Talk about an awkward silence. Not since the Last Supper, when the Lord Jesus himself called out Judas for ratting them out to the Romans, has there been tension like that around the dinner table. Sinjin, says I, as calmly as I could. That's a terrible thing to say. Now apologise to young Joyce, or I swear to you, you'll get such a kick in the bollocks, you'll be going home with two pairs of tonsils. Fair play to herself, she took it in her stride. Told Sinjin that she didn't mind the masking, even though she said she was very sensitive about it. 
She then went on to tell us that it was from an accident. Needless to say, I could barely contain the laughing when she told us the story of how she got the small scar on her chin. That's what she thought Sinjin was talking about. The poor mare's got such a torn in her eye that she can see round corners. Her poor old face looks like a bowl of badly mixed polyfilla, and she's sensitive about a tiny scar on her chin. I instantly loved her, that poor cow. We've gotten on like a house on fire ever since. Mind you, I'm not too keen to be around her when she's had a few jars. It's nothing to do with her mood or anything like that. It's the fucking eye. You think it's hard to work out where it's looking when she's sober. Jesus, man. You'd want to be around her after a few glasses of Davino and the poxy eye starts wandering like a tinker. You'd be bollocks from just trying to keep up with it. All in all, the day went grand. And I have to say that me worrying about it was nothing more than just that pointless worrying. After the dinner, we sat around in the evening sun. I lit the stupid chimney thing, bought in a moment of madness up Woody's the previous day. And we sat there with a few drinks and got bleeding well smothered out of it by the smoke from the thing. Biggest waste of 50 quid if ever I saw one. Anyways, the day wound up without further event, thanks be to Jesus. And we sent the kids, both hers and mine, merrily on their way about 11 o'clock that night. All of them plastered with the exception of Safina. That prick of a husband of horse had talked her into being the designated driver for the night, so she was left to ferry them all home in her yummy mummy people carrier. Well, like I told you, in the run-up to the big day, meeting Gillian's kids had been something that I'd been dreading. The other thing I'd been dreading was me stag night, and I'd been right to. I'm going back a bit now, a good few weeks before meeting Gillian's kids, do you follow me? Now, I didn't want to have one. I've never been that much into them, to tell you the truth. I hate going out with a big gang of lads. Never mind going away for a weekend with the fuckers. There's always going to be hassle with that many drunkards get together. And me stag night was no fucking different. It was Domo's idea. As soon as I broke the news that I was going to tie the knot again, he went head on into stag mode. To be honest with you, Domo, says I to himself after he started to get all excited about a trip away, I think I'm going to give the stag a miss. I'm not really into it in fairness, and Tommy, says he, would you fuck off out of that? You're having a stag and that's that, right? Ah, would you stop, for God's sake, Damo, says I. Those stag yokes are for young fellas. They're not for the likes of old lads like us. Yeah, that's fair enough and all, Tommy. I can see where you're coming from. But do you not remember the first time you did this, tied the knot like, huh? You'd no stag back then so fast where you marched up the aisle, for Jesus' sake. So you're having one, says him. Leave it with me. I'll organise everything. All right, then, says I. Uh, but nothing too fancy, all right? Yeah, yeah, no problem, says he. Is there anyone you want me to give a shout-out for it? That's when it hit me. I'm Billy fucking no, mates. Every friend I've ever had, I've pissed them off enough to send them on their way, and they want to have nothing to do with me. Hit me like bricks, so it did. All these years, I've been so wrapped up in myself that I didn't give two fucks about anyone else's problems and what have you. And when me drinking really got a hold of me, well, the few who were left soon ran out of patience after I'd rowed with them, tapped them for money, or just plain pissed them off over one thing or another. Depressing when you think about it, so it is. Tommy, says Domo, knocking me out to me thinking. Uh, uh, what, says I. Who do you want me to invite to the stag, says he. Mortified beyond belief, I just let on to him that I only wanted myself and the brothers to do something, and he went off happy enough with that. Of all the places he could have gone with, the fucking gobshite picked Birmingham. And it was for no other reason other than that he got cheap flights and an even cheaper hotel, getting the younger brother, Patsy, to book it on his credit card. 
So about four weeks ago, myself and all the brothers headed off, the whole lot of us together for the first time in years and doing something together for the first time ever. Needless to say, it was Jay's as well bedlam from the Friday morning we set off until we eventually got home the following Tuesday morning, two days late and bleeding well wrecked. Like any of these things, it started off civil enough. We hired a minibus to come around and collect each of us from our own gaps like, and sure it would have been rude not to have a can or two on the way in. Our flight was a half eight on the Friday morning, so the first of us to be collected was picked up at about half five. That was the younger brother, Patsy. Sure, by the time we picked the domo lad up, young Patsy was three sheets to the wind, for Jesus' sake. Anyways, we got ourselves checked in, got down to the bar in the departures area as soon as we could, and got a few more points on the go. Patsy, being full to the gills with the beer already, well, he went on to the shorts. Big mistake. We can see that now, but back then, only too happy to be swamping the points out of it with me brothers, and not having the lovely Gillian going on at me about me cholesterol and what have you. I didn't give a shite about what Patsy was drinking. And I'll tell you what, you know you're onto a good sesh when getting called for the flight that's going to take you away on a weekend bender. Seems like a fucking inconvenience when it comes. We'd have sat in that bar all bleeding morning if we could have. But when they started to call us by name over the Tannoy system, we knew we'd better get our arses off the high stools and make our way to the gate. Jesus, it's a wonder poor Patsy could even walk at this stage. Myself and Domo had to hold them up as we boarded the plane. And I'm telling you now, if your one at the plane door had to cop them, there was no way she was going to let them on that flight. Thanks be to Jesus, we got them on and anyways, got them buckled into a seat. And as we were the last ones to board, and we were a bit late at that, sure in no time at all, we were taxiing out onto the runway. Settled into our seats, we were all set for the short hop over to Birmingham. All of us buzzing to be heading away for the weekend, myself included when the captain comes on over the speakers to tell us that there was going to be a short delay. Short delay, me bollocks. We were sitting out on that tarmac for over an hour and a quarter. That's longer than the poxy flight was supposed to bleed and will take to begin with. Needless to say that by the time we finally got into the air, every last man of us was gutting for the blast of a fag, locked as we were, and as much as we begged, they wouldn't let us out to have a smoke, the fucking bollockses. It's the sad and sorry fact that when you're a smoker, Airports and flights are a bleeding agony, so they are. We were flying out of Terminal 2, and lovely bar that it is in there, there's nowhere for a fella to have a drag of a smoke. So, in our heads, we had known we had to make it to half nine or a little bit after that before we could smoke again. Sure, it was a quarter to ten before we heard down the runway for takeoff, and then we had another hour on the flight, and then, after that, sure, we had to get baggage reclaim and what have you before any man of us could enjoy the blast of a smoke. Well, wait till I tell you this. For the whole hour that we were sitting on the runway, that Patsy fella was out cold in his seat. But sure as shite, when we're halfway across the Irish Sea, he wakes up, fully expecting us to have landed and all by that stage, and the fucker's still more than half cut and only dying for the want of a fag. Are we there, says he to Domo after he came around. No, we're not. Why the fuck not, says himself, looking at his watch and raising his voice loud enough to get passengers up the front of the plane, turning around in their seats. Shh, for Jesus' sake, will you, says Domo. There was a delay. We're nearly there now. Go back asleep for a bit. I'll wake you when we land, all right? I want the smoke. Well, you can't have one, says Domo. But I'm gutting, so I am. For Jesus' sake, Patsy, sure aren't we all, but we'll just have to wait. Now go on and go. Here, young one. Patsy was on his feet and calling to one of the flight attendants. What seems to be the problem, says she. Why haven't we landed yet? 
We were supposed to be there ages ago, for God's sake. I'm dying for a blast, says Patsy. We were delayed in Dublin, sir, says herself, staying as calm as you like. Now, if you'll just sit back down, we'll be landing very shortly and you can have your cigarette soon after. But I'm gutting now, like bleeding gutting. Well, I'm sorry, sir, but you're just going to have to wait. Smoking's not allowed on any of our flights. Who fucking well says so, says he at the top of his voice. I was sitting in the seat in front of him and I got to my feet and turned around. Patsy, says I, in one of those shouting whispers your ma would throw at you when you were acting the maggot in mass. Give it a rest, will you, for Jesus' sake. You'll get us done for air rage. No, I won't, roars himself at me. I want to know. Who says I can't have a quick blast? Well, says your one, trying our best to keep things calm. The captain, for one. Oh, does he now, says Patsy. Before any of us could stop him, he was out in the oil, pushing past the flight attendant and striding towards the front of the plane like a man on a mission. You know when you see a child falling over, or you knock a glass over in the pub? You can see it happening like, but there's more or less fuck all you can do about it except be a helpless spectator. Well, that's how all of us were as we sat there watching Patsy storm up to the cockpit door and only start hammering on it and shouting out for the captain to come and talk to him. Can you hear me in there? Oi, Beagles, hello, Captain. Will you come out here and tell your one all I want to do is have a smoke for Jesus' sake? Bang, bang, bang on the door over and over. There were three attendants trying to pull him away and get him back to a seat, but they were getting nowhere. Myself and Domo started up the oil to try and get him to calm down. And that's when he said, Hello, are you in there or what? Captain, hello. Will you tell your one that it's okay for me to have a blast? I'll go into the jacks like. Yous won't even smell of it for the love of Jesus. It's only a fag for God's sake. It's not like I have a bomb strapped to me or something. Myself and Domo froze mid-step. Had that dopey fucker just said the B word in mid-air before another breath was taken and no sooner had he said it when this huge fucker in the first row only well bleeding shot out of his seat and he was on Patsy in a heartbeat. That poor fucker didn't know what hit him. Your man gave him such a clatter to the chops that it was lights out. Now, normally if I seen someone clatter me brother, no matter how much of a gobshite he was being, I'd have been onto them in a flash, but not that morning. And the same applied to Domo. As calmly as we could, we just made our way back to our seats and more or less washed our hands of him. The fellow who clattered him, along with two of the flight attendants, wrapped his hands and legs with duct tape and then taped him into one of the jump seats that the staff used. A few minutes later, your one comes down to us. Says she, am I going to get any more trouble out of you lot? Like fucking altar boys, so we were sitting in our seats like little angels and shaking our heads at her. A little while later, we landed in Birmingham, and needless to say, poor old Patsy was arrested before we'd even gotten off the plane. That was his weekend over before we even set foot on English soil. I did me best for him, pleaded with the cops so I did as they carted them off in cuffs, but it was no use. They were having none of it. I can't say I blamed him, really. He was acting the gobshite, if I was to tell you the truth. So what's going to happen to him, says I to a lady copper as we walked across the tarmac to the terminal. She had Patsy in cuffs and was hanging on to him by the scruff of his neck. Well, says she, we've arrested him for air rage. He'll be remanded in custody till we can get him before a judge. Yous are fucking charging him. We take cases of air rage very seriously, says ourselves. And how long will it take, says I. It depends. Uh, will it all be done before we fly back on Monday, says I. She laughed in me face, the dog. Uh, what's so funny, says I. Well, first of all, no. 
He won't be traveling back with you on Monday. Under the Aviation Offences Act, your brother is looking at a fine of £5,000 and or a five-year prison sentence. Five fucking grand? Five years? Are you mad or what? That poor fucker hasn't got a pot to piss in for Jesus' sake and he wouldn't last a night if you strung him inside. The poor gobshite would die a fright for God's sake. Well, says she, he should have thought of that before he tried to break down a cockpit door. And another thing, you guys won't be flying home on Monday either. You're fucking joking me, says I. Are you arresting the lot of us too? Sure we didn't do anything for God's sake. If anything, we did our best to stop him. Oh, I'm sure you did, says she. And no, we're not arresting anyone else. But your flight was booked on his credit card. And as he's just been flagged to be put on a no-fly list, I'm afraid that means that any tickets booked under his name have automatically been revoked for travel and... Are you serious, says I, cutting her off and doing me best not to curse at her or raise me voice? I didn't fancy keeping the Patsy Lad company in a cell for the weekend. Are you telling me that we're going to have to pay for a whole new set of tickets to get us home? No, says herself. I'm saying that you and the rest of your party are guilty by association, thanks to your brother's antics. You've all been placed on the no-fly list. You're fucking well joking me. How in the name of pale purple shite are we supposed to get home then? How are your sea legs, says she. You what? Unless you fancy swimming home, I would suggest that you and your brothers get yourselves booked onto the Monday morning ferry from Hollyhead to Dublin, because you will not be flying home, I can assure you of that, says herself. Well, in cuffs or not, under arrest or not, I can tell you now that I gave the Patsy lad such a root up the hole that I'd swear the fucker lifted a couple of feet in the air. Well, fuck you in anyways, you fucking Amadon. Oi, says your one, do you want to be in cuffs as well? N no, says I, no, not at all. Oh, I'm sorry, Patsy. Myself and the rest of the brothers stood in the terminal and watched as poor old Patsy was carted out of the building and into the back of a police van and the poor fucker crying like a babby as they took him. Me stag weekend was off to a flying start and, as is the way with myself, sure it could only get bleeding worser. The first thing we done was get ourselves into the city centre. While the lads got us booked into our hotel, myself and Domo went up to the cop shop where Patsy was being held and plead as we did, the fuckers were having none of it. Poor old Patsy was up the creek without so much as a canoe, never mind a poxy paddle. Seeing as how there was fuck all else we could do for him, we hit the town and got swamped. We ended up in a place called the Cock and... Here, hang on a minute. What is it they say? What happens on a stag stays on a stag. Yeah, let's leave it at that. All right. Suffice it to say that we had great crack. The fact that one of our brothers was banged up, and still fucking is, didn't put too much of a dampener on proceedings. We were out to get locked, and we did just that. On the Sunday evening, before we headed out, we all went back to the police station one last time to try and to talk the cops into letting Patsy out of his predicament. But it was like pissing on a volcano and hoping you'd put it out. The fuckers wouldn't budge an inch. They let myself and Domo in to see him and we told him that there was fuck all that we could do except to come back home after the weekend and try to get the five grand together for him and hope against hope that he wouldn't get sent down for it too. Jesus man, he cried his eyes out so he did and a bleeding well broke our hearts to leave him there. But when you look at it, he had no one to blame but himself. Still, it didn't stop the lot of us from feeling like shite that last night. He's up in court next Tuesday morning. We have the few bob for the fine. Domo has it ready to wear to the courts if all goes well. So all we can do is, you know, hope that it all goes right for him. Anyways, 
the last night we took it fairly handy. Given that we weren't allowed to fly home thanks to Patsy, we had to get the train up to Hollyhead at four o'clock the next morning. That'd be the guts of four hours. And then we had a three-hour ferry crossing to Dublin. The last thing any of us wanted was to be in a jocker for the long haul home. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, as they say. And although we didn't hit the clubs or anything like that, we did have more than a skinful. And wouldn't you know it, we were only late for the poxy train to Hollyhead. The ferry was to leave at nine in the morning and we were to be there by eight, all going to plan. But it didn't go to plan. The lot of us were in bits when we crawled out of the lab as well after five o'clock. I tell you, man, it's funny now, looking back like, but it wasn't funny that morning. The gang of us hooring through Birmingham to get to the station and each and every man of us more than three quarters pissed and half asleep. We went past the station five fucking times without noticing it. It was only on the sixth lap of the city centre that I seen a fella wearing a virgin rail luminous vest and we just followed him in the hope that he was going to work and not coming home after a night shift. Thanks be to Jesus he was only on his way in and we managed to get on the next train to Hollyhead. We knew that we were going to miss the ferry at this stage but sure we'd be there for the lunchtime sailing and sure that would be just as grand. Are you messing says I? Myself and the lads are all crowded around the desk at the booking area in the port. There's a little runt of a young fella behind the desk, staring out at us from behind an oversized pair of glasses. You're telling me that there's no sailing until tomorrow morning, that we've to stay in this kip of a hellhole for the night. That's right, says he. You're joking, aren't you? Sure, they used to sail two or three times a day. They used to, says himself, but not since the cheap airfares came along. Sure, nobody gets the ferry anymore. Well, hardly anyone. And what are we supposed to do till tomorrow morning? The little fucker just shrugged his shoulders and went back to his computer screen. You're a little prick, do you know that? He just shrugged again and gave me a grin that made me want to tear the face off of his head. With the exception of running through downtown Fallujah with a bullseye strapped to your back, there are few places worse than the town of Hollyhead to spend the day, especially when it's piss and rain and nearly every second business is closed down. It would depress a saint, so it would. We got a bit of brekkie from a cafe in the centre of town and then we managed to get two rooms in a kip of a and b down by the port. We could do nothing else but wait it out and make the best of things. The rest of the lads went for a couple of points in the afternoon, but I was in no mood for it, so I went for a bit of a ramble to pass the time. I hadn't been in Hollyhead for years. I was only a teenager the last time I was there. It was in the run-up to Christmas 1979. I was only 16 at the time, but I'd managed to convince Ronnie and me ma to let me go on a day trip with a few of the lads. Ronnie wasn't too keen on me going, but when I told him that I'd get him some duty-free fags and some whiskey too... Sure, he wasn't long in coming around to the idea. It was a freezing cold Saturday morning when myself, Pink Eye, Wally Mason and Bingo jumped on the bus out to Dunleary. Each of us had a good few bob in our pockets and an empty haversack for our haul on our backs. Jesus, man, I remember how excited we were. This was a real adventure. This was going to be the bizzo. We were leaving the country, each of us for the first time ever. And we had to go ahead from all of our parents to actually try and buy cigarettes and alcohol illegally. So what more could you want in an adventure? Although, if I was to tell you the truth, I think the thing that each one of us was the most excited about was that once we got to Hollyhead, there'd be dirty magazines to be bought. Lots of them. 
The trip over wasn't too bad. I chanced my arm getting served in one of the bars on board and got away with it. Getting a couple of points on the inside of us gave us the nerve to try and go to the duty-free shop and try our luck there. And wouldn't you know it, things being the way they were back then, fairly slack-like in terms of ID and what have you, we got away with that too. Jesus, man, we fucking well emptied the place out and not an eyelid batted or a question asked. Our backpacks were bursting at the seams by the time we were done. I'd 10 pounds of rolling tobacco for Ronnie and 400 cigarettes for myself and another 400 sweet afton for me ma. Then I'd three large bottles of Dulla Culla whiskey, again for Ronnie, and I'd two trays of some Belgian beer and stubby cans for myself, all of which I'd stuffed into me backpack. And as a consequence of such, when we finally reached Hollyhead after the three-hour trip, I walked around the place like Quasimodo, so bent over was I by the weight of me duty-free booty. That was mission number one done and dusted, but our second mission would be harder. Not so much because we were underage, but for the sheer fucking mortification of it. We were stood outside of small news agents in the town, fighting over who was going to be the poor fucker to go in and get the dirty magazines. Look, says Wally, we're going to be here all day if we don't get them soon, and the boat will be going back in less than an hour. And I'm telling you now, I'm not going back without them. I'm sick of page three. I want to see the real stuff. You know what I mean? Then how do we decide who's going in, says I. Not it, screamed Bingo. Then Wally, then Pink Eye. Well, fuck yous in anyways, I said. I had to do it. It was the rules. That's the way we sorted things. The last one to say, not it, was the one who was it. Loving mother divine, man. I went into that shop with a list as long as me arm and a good 20 or 30 pound for nothing but to be spent on as many of the dirtiest magazines I could get me hands on. There was an owl lad behind the counter and I was thankful for that. If there'd been any kind of queer one, any kind at all, old, young, minger, stunner, I'd have torn tail and legged it. So at least I was over the first hurdle. I strolled around the place as casual as I could while doing me best to try and spot where the magazines were. I was as discreet as I could be, picking up a bottle of ketchup here, a box of plasters there. There was a few L ones and a couple of kids in the place and I was hoping to stall things until they left. They're down the back, right hand side, top shelf. I turned around. The owl lad was staring down at me from the counter. Sorry, says I. What you're looking for, son? They're down the back. Sorry, says I, me face flushing. I'm not looking for anything in particular, mister. I'm just having an nosy as all. Go on out of that, says himself. And then at the top of his voice, It's the dirty magazines you'll be wanting, isn't it? Use paddies are all the same. The few L ones stopped their browsing and all turned to face me. It was like standing in front of a poxy inquisition, so it was. Ah, here now, says I, me face going absolutely puce with the shamer of it all. I didn't know what stung me more. The fact that I was being called out in public for just trying to buy a few dirty magazines, or the fact that this fucker had just called me a paddy. I don't know what you're talking about, mister. I'm just in here for this. I picked up the nearest thing to me hand and marched up to the counter as calmly as I could. How much do I owe you, says I. For a box of tampons. I looked down at the counter. Yep, the nearest thing to me hand had been a poxy packet of tampons. That's right, says I, me face getting redder by the second. All the way over here for those, says he, grinning. That smarmy face bollocks. They're for me sister, says I, getting flustered. A present like. Oh, says himself. He picked them up and held them up in the air. Hey, Margaret, says he to an L one halfway down the shop. 
Look what the young fellow's buying for his sister. A present for her, no less. Everyone in the shop broke their bollocks laughing, while I just stood there like a fucking gobshite, red to me ears. I paid your man the 50 pence for them and left with me tail between me legs and me dignity dragging on the floor behind me. The box of tampons stuffed into me coat. Did you get them? Where are they? Says Bingo. They didn't have any, says I. Your man inside says he's never sold filth like that. Then what's that under your coat? Asks Wally as he starts to pull at the zip. It's nothing, says I. I got me ma a box of sweets, says all. The lads were having none of it and thought that I was holding out on them. You didn't, you're shite. You got some and you just don't want to share them, says Wally, tugging all the harder at me coat. I tried to turn and walk away from them, but they wouldn't let me, the fuckers. I hunched over to try and stop them getting at me zip, but what with the weight of me haversack? Sure, I went arse over face and ended up on me back, not able to get up like a fucking upturned turtle, so I was. I couldn't do anything to stop the lads getting me coat open and finding what it was that I was hiding. Well, loving Jesus, man, they pissed themselves laughing. They were still giving me stick an hour later as we made our way back down to the port for the ferry home. Those fuckers call me tampon Tommy for bleeding well ages after that. That was a hard one to live with, I can tell you. We sailed out of Hollyhead at three o'clock that afternoon, each of us crippled with the weight of our duty free and with nary a dirty magazine between us. We were about an hour out of port when the sea started to get a bit choppy and within another half an hour there wasn't a one of us not green with the seasickness and all of us praying for our mass. Up and down, side to side we went and with about an hour left to go before we were due in Dunleary, we were in the thick of it. When I seen one of the crew puke a ring on the floor around her and then bless herself, I started to panic. And I was right to. All night we were out there, just two miles past the Kish Lighthouse. The weather being too bad to try and dock, there was nothing else the captain could do but wait it out. There was crying babbies, wailing young ones, and myself and the lads, despite the seasickness, and convinced we were going to end up at the bottom of the sea, sure we tucked into our duty free, and then proceeded to add to the tide of vomit that rolled from side to side on the floor as the ferry bobbed all over the gaff in the winds. It was almost ten o'clock the following morning when we finally docked in Dunleary, green as fuck, with wobbly legs and vomit stains all down our jackets. And I tell you what, I hugged the first fucking tree I seen and promised myself that I'd never leave terra firma again in all my life. I'm happy to report, nightmare that it was having to sail back from me snag, it was plain sailing all the way and we made it home just one day late and all of us more or less in one piece thanks be to Jesus. Oh, come here till I tell you what happened. Nah, nah, never mind, like I said, what happens on a stag. Here, pal, Get another couple of points, will you? It's late now, past midnight, and Tommy is more than a little worse for wear. I'm sorry, boss, says the barman. It's past closing. You'd better be on your way. I hold my breath, waiting for Tommy to go off on one like the Tommy of old, the Tommy that I know all too well. But he doesn't. He accepts the situation for what it is. It's a very strange thing to witness such a transformation in a man in such a short time. Gillian really has been nothing but good for him, and it's a great thing to see. Fair enough, pal. You're the boss. Uh, you wouldn't mind getting me a pack of fags, though, would you? His new packet of cigarettes in hand, we make our way back to the hotel. With a few pints on us, it seems a lot longer of a walk. And as we go, Tommy talks of how happy he is, how much he's looking forward to the future, and how much he can't wait to finally, after so many years apart, marry his childhood sweetheart.
We stop at the entrance to the hotel car park so that Tommy can have a cigarette without risking Julian catching him. Here, he says as he stamps out the smoke. Take these, will you? He hands me his packet of smokes and then pops golf ball chewing gums into his mouth. The last thing I need is a row with herself about smoking uh, just before we tie the knot. No bother. I'll give them back to you tomorrow, I tell him. You probably won't see me. I have a rake of things to be doing. Herself has a list as long as me leg for me to do. Right then, I'd better get up to me scratcher, all right, pal? I've had a long day. I'll get the fags back from you on Saturday. You'll be there now, won't you? Tommy, I wouldn't miss it for the world, I said to him. Grand so. Good night, pal. Good night, Tommy. I'll see you at the wedding. Indeed and you will, pal. Indeed and you will. Oh, and I have something for you. Don't forget to remind me to give it to you. All right. What is it? I ask him. Can you not give it to me now instead? Impatient little fucker, aren't you? Saturday, I said. Right, I'm off. I'll see you on the big day, pal. I watch him as he stumbles across the car park, struggles with the revolving door at the entrance and disappears into the lobby. I can't help but feel happy for him. Only eight months ago, I'd watched him stumble up Georgia Street in Dunleary, broke, depressed and alone. I'm glad the tide has torn for him. I truly am. If anyone deserves just one more crack of the whip, it's Tommy Costello. Hello, it's Stephen Duffy here with you once more. Thank you for joining me on Off My Block. I hope that you're enjoying the podcast. Well, that was episode 29, the penultimate chapter in the Tommy Costello trilogy of books. I hope that you'll join me this coming Sunday, May 2nd, for the final chapter in Tommy's story. If you're enjoying the books, please feel free to share this podcast with family and friends. It's available to them for free on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever they get their podcasts. Thanks again for joining me. Keep well. Stay safe. Coming up on the next episode of Off Me Block, Book 3, Done and Dusted. Chapter 10, A White Sports Coat. It's early afternoon on what is a glorious summer's day. I find Tommy and his brothers in the bar as arranged. He's dressed in a white tuxedo while his brothers are wearing grey morning suits. Jesus, there you are, man. What do you think of the tin of fruit? Says Tommy as I join him. Fucking well feel like I'm back doing me Joe Dolan gigs out in Cyprus. You look great, Tommy. Honestly, you do. I don't know about that, pal. Herself picked it out. I wanted a navy suit. Something simple like that. But as we're tying the knot out in the gardens, herself says I'll stay nice and cool in this. And whatever herself wants, herself gets. Those poor fuckers will be melting though. God help them. He nods in the direction of his brothers. All of them now gathered around the one table and doing shots. Here lads, for Jesus sake, will you lay off it? You'll be buckled before you even get me to the altar, for fuck's sake. In unison, they give their brother the finger and continue drinking. Thank you.